I'm Scott Aniel, and you're listening to Remembering Zion, Setting Minds on Things Above. I have been reading through portions of my book, Sound Worship, A Guide to Making Musical Choices in a Noisy World, and in this episode, I will finish the book by reading the second half of chapter six, entitled, How Should We Think About Sunday Morning? In the first half of the chapter, I established the biblical purpose for corporate worship, and in the second half, I deal with the preparation for corporate worship and participation in corporate worship. You can purchase Sound Worship at Amazon.com or wherever books are sold, and there is also a teacher's edition which incorporates material from my first book, Worship in Song, as well as discussion questions, study guides, and other resources to help a teacher guide students through the material in sound worship. I hope this is a blessing to you. The Preparation for Corporate Worship Recognizing that we gather on Sunday morning as a church with the purpose of worshiping our Holy Lord should cause us to think seriously about how we are coming to worship. Remember, this is a day that belongs to the Lord in a special way, just like the Lord's Supper. We shouldn't approach the Lord's Supper in a kind of unprepared, flippant manner that we would some other supper. And similarly, we must not approach the Lord's Day as we would just any other day. We find such an attitude in Ecclesiastes 5, 1-2, which says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near and listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Here we find admonishment to guard our steps or approach cautiously when we come to corporate worship. This is not something to enter into lightly, rashly, or flippantly. Corporate worship is something for which we must prepare. Unfortunately, most people are not only unprepared for corporate worship when the Lord's Day arrives, they are ill-prepared. In other words, most people have set up their week, Saturday evening and Sunday morning, so that they cannot be adequately prepared. Preparation begins Monday morning. Instead, we should begin our preparation for the next Lord's Day corporate worship on Monday morning. This is accomplished mostly by how we plan our week. Plan your responsibilities so that you can have Saturday evening free. Plan your times of personal and family worship during the week to create anticipation for the corporate worship on the Lord's Day. If your pastor is preaching through a particular book of the Bible on Sunday mornings, you will have a fairly accurate idea of the passage he will be preaching on the upcoming Lord's Day. Take time to read and meditate on that passage yourself and with your family during the week. If you're not sure what your pastor will be preaching, why not ask him ahead of time? Likewise, ask your pastor what hymns will be sung on the next Lord's Day and use them in your times of personal and family worship. Teach the hymns to your children and help them understand what the hymn text means so that they can be prepared when the Lord's Day comes. Preparation intensifies Saturday evening. Our preparation for corporate worship should intensify Saturday evening. For the most part, it may be wise to leave Saturday evenings free from other activities. 
Plan your family times and gatherings with friends on Friday evening, not Saturday. Saturday evening should be given over to preparing for the Lord's Day. We should be continuing our spiritual preparation on Saturday evening, perhaps having a special time of family worship, but we should also prepare practically. Saturday evening is the time for choosing clothes, finding shoes, bathing children, and packing the car, not Sunday morning. Giving careful thought on Saturday evening to what needs to be done will make the Lord's Day morning much less hectic. Preparation culminates Sunday morning. If you have made sufficient preparation on Saturday evening, hopefully Sunday morning will be much more relaxed. But the preparation for corporate worship can still continue. Use your breakfast time or ride to the church building as a time to gather your thoughts and remember what you'll be hearing and singing in the morning service. Plan to arrive at the church building with enough time for fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, but with also enough time to find your seat and rest your mind in preparation for corporate worship. When you seat yourself prior to the service, commit to a time of prayer, reading the scriptures, or reviewing the upcoming service order so that you can be fully engaged once the service begins. All of this preparation will certainly require planning and discipline, but if we see our corporate worship as something serious and important, we should be willing to put in the time and effort to prepare adequately for it. Remember, this is a special day belonging to the Lord, and for this reason we should look forward to it. The rewards for corporate worship will be far greater if we do. The Participation in Corporate Worship With all of this in mind, what should we be thinking as we worship on Sunday morning? Here are several suggestions. Singing Since every member of the congregation is responsible to participate in worship, then no element of the service is optional, including the singing. Just because you don't like to sing or don't think you have a good voice does not mean you can keep your mouth shut. Singing in church is not about the quality of your voice. Singing is about lifting our heart responses to the Lord. And by singing with others in the congregation, we are being helped to express right kinds of affections to God in worship and manifesting the unity of the body. Offerings Giving from money we have earned is one tangible way we can express our hearts of thankfulness to the Lord and support what He is doing through the church. We must also be aware of the congregational nature of our giving as well. We are not just giving as individuals, we are giving alongside our fellow Christians. This is why I believe we should be prepared to give every time we worship corporately. Most of us have a particular percentage that we plan to give each time we earn money, and most people simply give that as an offering all at once. This means that depending upon when we get paid, we may only give once a month or once every two weeks. But in order to demonstrate both the congregational nature of giving and the fact that we are thankful every time we gather for worship, perhaps a better practice would be to divide our planned giving so that we can give a portion every time we have a worship service. Prayer Like singing, every member of the congregation should be actively involved in corporate prayer. This means that when someone is leading in prayer, our minds should be actively engaged with him, affirming Amen in our hearts many times during the prayer and certainly at the end of the prayer. 
In fact, it is a good practice for every member to verbally say Amen at the end of a corporate prayer. This practice perfectly manifests the unified nature of corporate prayer. Further, if someone needs to move to another location in the service, he should refrain from doing so during the corporate prayer. If you are scheduled to sing immediately following the prayer, for example, don't move into place during the prayer. How can you be actively engaged in the corporate activity if you are moving? Instead, move to your place before or after the prayer. Special Music I am not fond of the term special music because it gives the impression that other music in the service, specifically the congregational singing, is not special. Yet the times of congregational singing are actually the most important musical events of the service. Congregational singing is commanded in Scripture, and it demonstrates the unified nature of corporate worship. Even so, quote-unquote special music can sometimes be an aid to worship, perhaps renaming it prepared music or musical offering would help. But since these prepared musical offerings do not actively involve the entire congregation, sometimes church members can very easily slip into spectator mode or even let their minds wander. What can we do to prevent this from happening? First, recognize that even during a vocal solo, choir anthem, or instrumental number, you should be actively participating. You are not a spectator watching a performance. You should be just as involved as those performing. These musical leaders are simply helping you have the right kinds of spiritual responses and express them to God. Second, there are things that you can do to help yourself participate. If an instrumental number is being performed, open the hymnal, and consider the words of the song as an aid to keep your mind and heart active. Then ask, what affections do this arrangement express that fit with the truths of this hymn? If you don't know what hymn is being played, or if you do not have access to the words, ask yourself what kinds of affections are being expressed through the music itself, and what truths about God would solicit such responses. With vocal music, Listen to the musical arrangement and how the song is sung help to express different kinds of spiritual responses. Notice how those responses flow directly from the truth being sung. Silence If there is silent space between elements in the service, don't think, boy, I wonder who goofed, or allow the time to distract you. Instead, consider the truth and responses with which you just participated and anticipate what is to come. Perhaps use times of silence for prayer, thanking God for the things you just considered. Preaching The sermon is the most evident time in the service when truth about God is being presented. All through the sermon, you should be considering the truths of the Bible and asking yourself how you should be responding. You may need to respond with confession. You may find yourself responding with joy and thankfulness. No matter what kind of response you express, we should always respond in some way to the preaching of God's word. Sometimes we get the idea that we need to respond only when we are convicted or spoken to. On the contrary, God's truth always demands a response. And remember that worship doesn't take place until we respond to truth. Conclusion 
In Ephesians 12, 28-29, the author commands us to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This implies that there is such a thing as worship that is not acceptable to God. It is very important for us, therefore, to consider carefully how we are worshiping. Do we prepare for it? Do we actively participate in it? God deserves our worship, and he delights in the worship of his assembled people. Let's commit ourselves to worshiping deliberately, congregationally, intentionally, and actively. This concludes my reading of Sound Worship, a guide to making musical choices in a noisy world. You can purchase this book on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold, along with the teacher's edition. I'm Scott Aniel.